Welcome to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. Here we explore the training and development of America's leaders in the application of air power and the profession of arms. The views expressed are those of the hosts and do not reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome back to another episode of Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. I am Colin Slade. And I'm Reed Gann, and we're your hosts for Commission Ed. In the last few episodes, we have spent quite a bit of time explaining what it means to be an officer, how do you become an officer, the different commissioning sources. But Reed and I felt that it was important that we shift gears a little bit here and talk about some things that are critically important and uh, and current uh, in the discussion around officers that are already in the Air Force. So for this episode today, we want to focus on the topic of how do Air Force officers get promoted. And along those lines, I think it is important that we first discuss why it is that someone would want to get promoted in the first place, what promotion really means. Reed, why don't you lead off and set the stage for why these things are important to discuss and understand? Sounds good. Kind of, I'm going to take a little bit of a circuitous route here and ask you a question, uh, Colin. What do you define a successful career as? As an Air Force officer, what do you define career success to be? For me personally, or in general? For you personally. Okay. This is a tricky question because I purposely have led a different type of Air Force officer career. I just. As a reminder, a little bit of background about me and what I've done so far. After graduating from Air Force ROTC, receiving my commission in 2011, I went on active duty for four years. During that time, I worked really hard, thought I was doing a great job, and identified some opportunities that I was really excited about and brought those opportunities up and my ideas up to my squadron commander and explained what it was, what it was that I wanted to accomplish. And through those conversations with my squadron commander and the eventual officer performance reports or OPRs that I received, it became very clear to me that my chances of achieving those various different opportunities were highly dependent on the way that I looked on paper, the the stratifications that I received, the the recommendations that I was given by my squadron commander, group commander, wing commander, so on and so forth. And as things went along, I didn't get those recommendations or those stratifications that I wanted or that I needed or that I felt that I deserved. And because I felt that my trajectory the path that I was taking uh, in the Air Force at the time wasn't serving my needs, my desires, what it was that I wanted to accomplish. I decided to take a different route. I decided to leave active duty. I joined the reserves and spent almost two years in the individual ready reserve where I wasn't 
actively doing anything uh, in the Air Force. And during that time, I, I refocused my efforts on working on my PhD, studying military drill and the culture that, that surrounds it, as well as getting experience with and familiarity in higher education where I thought that I wanted to end up. But I realized eventually that I missed my brothers and sisters in arms. I miss, missed wearing the uniform. I missed everything that the Air Force provided me and my family. And so I decided to pursue this opportunity to be a ROTC instructor, which is what I've been doing for the last two years. And I've loved every minute of it. But throughout all of that, I have come to the realization that I am not interested in the typical way that the Air Force defines success for its officers. I don't want to be a squadron commander. I don't want to be a group or a wing commander. I have zero desire to be a general officer. I don't even think that I would want to be a colonel. It just sounds miserable to me. <laughs> so I think that's exactly where I knew you would get to, which is why I asked you that question. So thanks for the background on that, because I think too often career success is defined in the Air Force as position and promotion. And while I do think it is good to have goals, it is good to try and want to become something when it comes to what is best for your life, what is best for your career, what's best for your family, those you love. I don't think those things are always going to be one and the same. This idea of position promotion as defining career success. I certainly don't define career success entirely by promotion. We'll, and we'll cover that. So my thoughts about does promotion equal success? Not necessarily and not for everyone. And I think you demonstrated that. It would be impossible for either of us to say that you had made the wrong decision for you and your family at the times you made it. You were able to pursue the things you were interested in. It's gotten you to where you are today. We can't in hindsight say whether that decision was right or wrong, but we can say that you doing what's best for you and your family is always going to be the right thing. And that's what I choose to define my career success by. At some point, no matter what I do, the Air Force is going to ask me to leave. Whether that's at 10 years, whether that's at 40 years, there are some things I can do to try and have a little bit of a say in how that goes. And that's what we're trying to talk about today. Everyone that's in this service or wears this uniform is going to be subject to the rules of the game. You define your career success. You need to take control of your career, but you also are subject to those rules. So that's kind of what we want to, why we're, why we're having this conversation. I don't want our audience to think that if they don't make a certain rank or if they don't achieve some certain position, that they will have failed in their careers. However, at the end of the day, if one of my goals is to do 20 years in the Air Force as someone with no prior experience, it is best that I make 05 in order to make that 20-year mark. We'll talk about why that's the case uh, a little later. So I need to take some steps now in order to try and set myself up for the highest chance of success in achieving that rank. But we just need to try and separate the idea of promotion and position as success, but yet understand that there are rules of the game and you have to be in the game 
in order to keep getting paid? I think you're on the right track, but I, I think we should back up just a little bit so that for those who are not intimately familiar with the way that the Air Force is structured or how the, the officer ranks work, let's back up a little bit, define what is meant by position and or promotion. What does it mean to move through a career, through you know, from start to finish? You, know, you said 05, what is an 05? Let's take a couple of minutes and explain some of those things. Yeah, absolutely. So in the United States military, and this is not different among the different services, there are 10 officer ranks. Uh, now they call them all different things, but they are there are 10 ranks. They start with 01, and in the Air Force, that, that rank is a second lieutenant. And that is overwhelmingly what new officers are commissioned as. That is their first rank. That is uh, their first the first rank they will achieve. O1 is officer, and then one is essentially the first rank. And O1 refers specifically to a pay grade that is equivalent across each of the different services, even though they may be titled or ranked differently, second lieutenant, ensign, they all have the, the same pay grade, literally meaning they are paid the same amount. For the Air Force and some of our other services, the next rank is first lieutenant, and that is O2. The next is captain, which is O3, major, which is O4, then on to lieutenant colonel, which is O5, and that's the rank that I mentioned previously, and then colonel, which is O6. That compromises the overwhelming majority of people who will serve in the military as an officer. The next four ranks are the general officer ranks. You have brigadier general or a one-star general, and that's an 07. Major general, which is a two-star general, 08. Lieutenant general, which is a three-star general, 09. And then general, which is a four-star, 010. So can we go back and just reemphasize what you said earlier uh, just a minute ago about the first five ranks being the vast majority of Air Force officers. So as you were saying earlier, you come out of your commissioning source, whether it's the Air Force Academy, the Officer Training School, Air Force ROTC, by and large, you're going to come out of those commissioning sources as a second lieutenant or an 01, right? And then a few years later, you're going to be a first lieutenant. A few years after that, you'll be a captain. So the majority of our junior officers are going to be in those uh, one of those three grades, the second lieutenant, first lieutenant, and captain. Right. And so they're the frontline supervisors, the tactical level, first level of, of, of supervision uh, for the majority of the Air Force. They make up the majority of the officers in the Air Force. And collectively, those are known as company-grade officers or CGOs. That's correct. After promoting to captain a few years later, promote to major. A few years after that, you may promote to lieutenant colonel. And you said earlier that the lieutenant colonel is generally where you need to end up in order to make it to 20 years or what is considered a, a full military career. Yep, that's correct. And that's all dictated by a law that we'll talk about in detail here in a few minutes. So 
the typical military career then, at least for an officer, takes you through those ranks, second lieutenant, first lieutenant, captain, major, ending at lieutenant colonel, and then what happens? After that, there is still promotion opportunities to colonel and then to the general officers. But most people, most officers will not make it to colonel. Yep, that is correct. And and, and then most colonels will not make it to general officer. Yes, that's correct. Uh, I don't have the promotion rates in front of me. There's something you can uh, Google. I did not even look up the promotion rates to colonel because it's uncommon enough that you know if we're talking to 20 people, less than one of those people will make colonel in their career. So it's not a big enough population that I felt we needed to address it, to be honest. I'm sure that one of our listeners will find that statistic for us and let us know what it is. Yeah, those are all published, and I do have some stats that we'll talk about later, so we aren't completely unresearched, Colin, are we? We've done some homework here. But I, I just wanted to reemphasize that point that the majority of officers are going to cap out. They're going to finish promoting at lieutenant colonel, which is why then those ranks make up the vast majority of officers in the Air Force. So Colin already kind of talked about the kind of groupings that we have our officers into. The first one we talked about, the junior officers or the company grade officers, the second lieutenant, first lieutenant, and captain grades. Uh, promotion to those grades, at least as they've been for the last eight or nine years, are what are called 100% promotion opportunity for fully qualified officers. Meaning, if you do not have information that points you as one that is not qualified, we're talking significant derogatory information, arrests, you're a prisoner at that moment, things of that nature. Every two years, you're going to be promoted. And for field grade officers, these are the ranks major, lieutenant colonel, and colonel falls in this category as well. Although in practice, it's kind of in its own separate category. It's like a mini general, not quite in the, this category. The category is field grade officers or FGOs. That promotion system, so captain to major, major to lieutenant colonel, and lieutenant to colonel to colonel, follow a very prescriptive and regulated process. And this is all thanks to a law that was passed in 1980 called DOPMA, or Defense Officer Personnel Management Act. So kind of a lot of interesting history on how this act came about. Essentially, the idea was after World War II, we had a lot of people at the highest ranks of our officer corps that were in simply because they were in longer than everybody else. And there wasn't a route or a path for young, new talent to move into those ranks. It essentially, when someone passed away or finally decided to retire, then a single position at an unscheduled time, perhaps at an unideal location or place or whatever it was, would open up, allowing one bright star to kind of move up into that position. And that was seen by everyone, the military and the civilian people that we serve in Congress, as less than optimal. We were not getting new ideas. We were not developing. So they created this plan, essentially, on how we could have regular, predictable promotion systems, and it applied generally across all of the services. And that, was, that is what became DOPMA. 
And now there's a, a companion to that. It's ROPMA, and that's for our reserve and National Guard components, uh, but it essentially performs the same function. Yeah, let, let's summarize that uh, real quick. So the issue was that officers were staying in for a long time and promoting because they had been in a long time and there was nothing that was requiring them to leave the service. And so the top ranks filled up and there was no opportunity for junior officers to move up and keep ideas fresh, you know, adapt to new situations or the changing sociopolitical and wartime environment. Exactly. And additionally, there was no predictability about when a vacancy would become available and no way to therefore create a process in order to develop someone for those positions. It was completely luck and timing, which has always played an important role in whatever you're pursuing in life, right? However, it was something that was seen as too much reliant on just luck and timing. We wanted to kind of create a scheduled, coherent, predictable process by which people advanced in the ranks. So a couple of key things that came out of this law that are still in place today that affect the way things work. They established specific quotas for the number of authorized personnel in each of the service at the field grade officer ranks. So for the Air Force, that's major, lieutenant colonel, and colonel. It created a coherent, consistent timetable for promotions. We'll talk about that in a little bit. It also created and mandated an upper out system. In other words, if you don't get promoted, then you are asked to separate. And what do you mean by separate? Leave the service. So, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but essentially if you fail to promote in the window that has been established for your promotion, then you are forced to separate from the Air Force. You don't get a choice in the matter? You do not get a choice in the matter. There are some systems in place to allow for some certain ranks and career fields or AFSs to stay in. It's called selective continuation, but that's completely dependent on the needs of the Air Force. So let us imagine that you're in a career field where we have a lot of officers who are staying in and you are passed over for promotion. You do not make the next rank in the window that is your turn and they don't need you to stay in in order to fulfill their needs no you do not have an option you're asked to separate and that window can be pretty narrow sounds harsh so is warfare <laughs> and, and 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 i need, i want to walk that back a little bit right we are starting to enter this system right so both you and i will be meeting our major board uh, this december and so we are kind of just at the cusp of where it gets hard when it comes to people that we know, good officers who aren't going to get promoted. We are going to know people who make us scratch our heads a little bit. And I'm sure we'll talk about that you know, in some future episodes as the chief of staff is currently working really hard to try and get after this problem of Air Force officers, promotions and getting that right. But this is something that we have not been participants in. And so you know, I need to be careful. A lot of people's emotions and livelihoods and identities are tied up in the system. So I don't want to be uh, too harsh. I do know many people that are close to me that have been passed over and, and it's a hard thing for them to experience. 
So I, I, I want to walk that back a little bit. No, I, I appreciate the, the effort to explain what the reality of the circumstances are. We serve at the pleasure of the President of the United States and that authority delegated to the Secretary of the Air Force. If the Secretary of the Air Force does not require our services anymore because of various different constraints, could be the operational environment no longer requires that that we serve, or the fiscal environment means that the Air Force can no longer afford us, or whatever the situation may be. Again, we serve at the pleasure of the President and the Secretary of the Air Force. We can be let go from our position within the Air Force at any moment, which is important to note because in that respect, the Air Force functions very, very similarly to much of the of the corporate business world where employees serve at the the pleasure of their supervisors the, their their bosses and the people that that own the company yes there are contracts that are signed that protect rights and we have similar protections can't be fired for no for no reason whatsoever but we don't necessarily have unlimited rights and time in, in the air force as you said at the very top of the podcast, even if you promote all the way up, there will come a time where the Air Force will say, thank you for your service. It is time for you to leave. Exactly. And that happens to everyone, even the chief of staff who achieves the highest rank and position that you can have as a military uniform wearing officer in the Air Force. When that time as chief of chief of staff comes to an end, they will or they hit the mandatory retirement age, which is all governed in some documents we'll talk about later. Yeah, they're asked to leave and, and that's it. So yeah, it, it can be an interesting reality to think about. And it's another thing I want to get in before we get too deep in this. Why are we talking about this to an audience of maybe brand new commissioned or people thinking about commissioning? Why are we talking about this, this stuff that's going to happen in 10, 15 years? Why are we talking about this, Colin? Because you need to know what it is that you're getting yourself into. You need to start from the beginning to define for yourself, for your family, if you have one, what success means to you, what a successful career looks like to you. Are, are you someone that feels like you need to have rank and position in order to be successful? And I'm not saying that that's a wrong if you feel like success for you is making 06 or 07 or above, then you need to, you need to hit certain milestones. You need to check certain boxes at, at the beginning of your career in order to make that happen. Yeah, exactly right. I absolutely fell into this trap early in my career thinking this doesn't apply to me. This is a long way off when it's my turn. Everything's going to be different. And I want everyone within the sound of our voice to know that time will come much sooner than you think. It seems like yesterday, Colin, that you and I met in a hot Alabama classroom as brand new second lieutenants. And here we are months away, short months away from our majors board meeting and determining whether or not uh, we'll wear the oak leaves to the next rank. That blows my mind at how quickly that has come. And exactly as you mentioned, the decisions you make now can have permanent impact on your ability to be promoted. And whether you like it or not, 
those are the rules of the game. So we want folks to be informed now so that they can take the steps necessary to achieve whatever it is that they've defined as career success. Yeah, one way to look at this is helpful metaphors like large doors turn on very small hinges or if the track on a train shifts just a couple inches, that train will get onto a different path and miles down the road end up in a very different location or turning the aircraft a couple of degrees and flying another thousand miles will put the the aircraft you know, hundreds of miles off of the course that it had in originally intended. The same is true for the brand new lieutenant coming into the Air Force and the decisions that they make, the opportunities that they pursue, the commanders that they are super, supervised by and evaluated by can have a drastic impact on things that happen 8, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. Exactly. No, I think you did a really good job of, of summing that all up. So that's the why. And now it's time to hike up our pants and get into the nitty gritty. For more on DOTMA, we put a link into the show notes. Uh, Rand has done a lot of really good studies about the why and the what of how DOTMA works. Uh, let's get into it. All right. So one thing that was mandated by DOTMA was this idea of coherent scheduled promotions. As a result of that, they needed to define who gets promoted at what times. The easiest way to do that was based on year group or cohort or essentially the calendar year that you commissioned in becomes your year group. That's who you're going to compete against for promotion when it's your turn. And all of this is outlined in the Air Force Instruction 362501. It's 112 pages long and I will not be summarizing it in its entirety. Um, it is incredibly detailed, and I encourage anyone who's coming up on promotion or thinking about this to really go through it. But we're going to give you a couple wave top understandings uh, of how this works. Uh, we're going to talk about a little bit of vocab at the beginning, and then we'll get right into it. So because of DOTMA and the scheduled promotions, you're, you have these promotion windows. There are currently three of them. First is before or below the promotion zone, or BPZ. And that is typically one to two years before you're in the promotion zone or IPZ. Then for anyone who is passed over, they have one more zone to compete for promotion. And that's called above the promotion zone or APZ. So those are your three categories, BPZ, IPZ, and APZ. Reed, if you wouldn't mind, uh, take a minute to explain who it is that typically gets promoted in each of those different zones? So for BPZ, these are typically your super high-speed performers, uh, those that are, in, a, in essence, preordained for greatness. These are the folks that at some point, uh, due to circumstance, performance, a combination of factors, which I'm not certain, to be honest, and we'll explain why that's the case. I think BPZ promotions to lieutenant colonel are typically 2% or less so these are, you know, the one percenters in a good way. These are those folks who are promoted before the rest of their cohort in promotion zone. Uh, that's for the mere mortals. That's for everybody else. So the overwhelming majority, we're talking not the remaining 96% or so of folks get promoted here in, in promotion zone. That did leave a little bit of 
gap there if you're quick on the maths. Um, there is about a 1% one, one to 2% chance that you can be promoted above the promotion zone. We'll talk about all that as we go further into our promotion zone and promotion discussion. Also, we should mention here that these promotion zones apply strictly to field grade officers. So BPZ, IPZ, APZ, those promotion zones do not apply to the company grade officers moving from second to first uh, lieutenant and captain. Yep, that's correct. Currently, at least as it's been for the last eight or nine years, promotion to the company grade officer ranks, so second to first, first to captain, are, as we kind of discussed uh, a little bit earlier, for 100% opportunity for fully qualified. So everyone who is eligible, a senior officer will review the list. Essentially, they get a list that says these are all the people in your organization that are being pushed forward for promotion to say captain. They just make sure that they're all fully qualified. The list is certified, and then those officers are promoted on the anniversary of the day they commissioned or the day they entered active duty, depending on a, a large number of factors. Can we speak to the reality of those promotions? Like, Who are the people that get promoted from second to first and then first to captain? For the last about 10 years, it's been essentially everyone. Now, quite some time ago, there was a board process to promote to captain, but that was because we were retaining too many officers. So I don't want to be too firm as like everyone 100% will absolutely make it. Uh, that is the overwhelming majority of people's experience, but uh, we could be subject to boards in the future. So try to give ourselves a little flexibility there. Oh, sure. Yeah. Things could always change, but don't be surprised when you talk to company grade officers when they promote or or it might be your own experience that when you promote, you just say to yourself, well, well, good. I woke up every day and I fogged a mirror and I got promoted. Yep. That I still have a pulse. So I got promoted. Yep. So it was back in the 2012 timeframe that there was a board to captain. So that was not in the too far distant past. Yeah. And I actually know somebody who was passed over for captain the first time having worked with him and understanding, you know, his personality, I can absolutely see why he was not promoted to captain the first go around. No derogatory information, just not the best person, not the best officer I ever met, but eventually he was still promoted to captain. All right. So Colin, like you mentioned, after the CGO ranks, then there becomes a process. So for the FGOs, there is quite the process. So bear with me as I kind of get through all this. But the biggest central idea to this whole thing is that a board is going to convene. That board is going to review records. And the board will decide who has demonstrated the potential to serve in the next higher grade by review of their records. So let's talk about that process. Yeah, let's define a couple things right there. What is the board? Who is on it? The board is convened at, at a base in San Antonio, Texas. It is selection of senior officers. So colonels, 06, there is a one or two-star general who is the board president. And if you really want to know, uh, this is all outlined in that AFI that we mentioned earlier. Uh, 362501 
it talks about the board president, the positions, uh, but these officers are selected from a variety of career fields so that at this point in time, you'll have, and we've talked about these categories before, but for line officer promotions, so line of the Air Force, not lawyers, not chaplains, not medical, not dental, et cetera. Uh, so all your pilots, your engineers, scientists, your intel, all those folks will have uh, representation on this board in order to have a broad audience that can review the, the records of these individuals and make informed decisions. Okay. And then let's also define records. What are they looking at? Sure. So the records that we're talking about are put together into what's called a rope or a record of performance. This rope contains all of your annual performance reports. Uh, the officer performance reports or OPRs. We've mentioned those a few times on this podcast and any training reports you may have. So if you go to a professional military education like squadron officer school, or you go to a technical training for the Air Force, something like Intel school or pilot training, et cetera, you can get what's called a, a training report. And these are essentially like a stand-in for your annual performance review that just tell how you performed in that training. Also, any medal or decoration write-ups are contained in this rope. And the last thing is the PRF or the promotion recommendation form. Now this form is currently undergoing a little bit of uh, change. Chief of staff is working right now to evaluate how this is going to look, but just for some context, what this used to be is a condensation of all of your records into nine lines. And in those nine lines had to be bits and pieces from all of your other records. And it had to be word for word. And it was a huge admin lift to put these things together. Your senior rater, most often an 06 or a one-star general, usually a wing commander level, would indicate on that report what their ranking of you was. And just to clarify, a senior rater is typically your boss's boss's boss. So multiple levels above you. And they would put one of three things down on this form. It was just a little container down near the bottom. Either do not promote, promote, or definitely promote. Those were the three ways you would be categorized. So in addition to their ranking or stratification of you, say you're number one of 20 people that they have eligible for this board, they would also put you into one of those three categories. Overwhelmingly, people received a promote. The highest achievers in, in the eyes of the wing commander or senior raider would get the definitely promotes. And those with derogatory information would be given the do not promote. So that all of those records combined come into what we call the record of performance. And those are the records that the board are going to review. Again, we're not going to go into all the nitty-gritty details about this board process and how it works, but essentially, it's your responsibility to make sure that your records are up to date well ahead of your board date. You're going to get an email that says you are eligible for a promotion. Make sure your records are up to date. You're going to review them, make sure everything is current. And then on a given day, the Central Selection Board in San Antonio is going to pull all those records electronically. This group of senior officers is going to review all the records. Multiple officers are going to review each record 
and they're going to give them a score. After the scoring is done, all the officers will then review the scores to make sure that everything makes sense. If there's a significant division in the scores, then they're going to have a discussion and reach to some consensus about what the score should be. After all the scoring is complete and everyone is happy, they're going to rank these paper records from best to least good, if you will. So one to N. As part of the process with establishing the board, the Secretary of the Air Force is going to communicate to the board what the quota is for this board. And that all comes back to DOTMA, if you remember, in establishing a certain amount of people that can be at any rank. Once that number is communicated and this one through N list has been established, they're going to draw the line. If you're above the line, you're going to get promoted. If you're not above the line, you're not going to get promoted. Now, there are some sanity checks that they do. Again, it's all out in that AFI 362501 to make sure that people that are getting promoted should be and those that aren't, that those that should not be promoted are not getting promoted. But we won't go into all of that. It's, it's pretty interesting how much goes into that process. So we mentioned that the chief of staff has asked for his senior leaders to work on this idea of what the PRF is. Well, a number of years ago, I had spent a couple months working on PRFs. I was an executive officer to someone who had a number of these people that were getting boarded for major. Spent months and months working on these reports, making sure they were as best as they could and were really reflected who these members were. Real quick, what, what is meant by executive officer? An executive officer is kind of an assistant to a commander. Uh, generally, they start at about the group level. So if we talk about the organization, right, you have the flight, squadron, group, wing, numbered air force, et cetera. It goes up from there. So the group is not quite middle management, but almost. It's, it's slightly higher. And I was an executive officer to the group commander. So my job is to uh, assist him or her in whatever way they needed it. And primarily my responsibilities were to work on performance reports to ensure that they uh, were of a high standard and also adhered to the requirements that reports have to when it comes to all the admin stuff. So I spent months working on these things, uh, turned them in on time, uh, just to have the chief of staff say that we're not going to use PRFs for that majors board, and we haven't used them since. And that is still the case. They're transitioning to a two-line PRF. And that two-line PRF will not contain any information from your reports or from your rope. Instead, it will contain a senior rater's assessment of you and your potential to serve. So this is all under flux right now, but it's kind of important that we understand what the PRF was so that as it transitions, we, we can understand some of the language and that will lead us into an episode we hope to do in the future about all these changes that are happening with officer evaluations. Yeah, I think that's a really important point to make right now is that this is a re very relevant topic at the moment as the very highest levels of Air Force leadership are looking closely at the process of how officers are evaluated and promoted. So it may be that just a few months from when this episode is released, all of these things change. Absolutely. And, and that's all because we want to make sure that we're promoting the right people. 
you know, and I mentioned that there, you know, at some point there has to be a line drawn and right now at the highest levels and generally throughout the air force, we're not certain that we're getting that line correct every time. Uh, so let me just talk about some stats uh, for a minute. So all these rates are published. You can find this information, but according to the research I've been able to do and some reading I've done, the promotion rate from major to lieutenant colonel over the last 30 years, if you remember those three zones we talked about, below the zone, in promotion zone, and above the zone, below the zone promotion rates hover around right around 2%, meaning those are you know the really high achievers, those that are destined for greatness. In promotion zone is about 69%, with above the promotion zone slightly less than three at 2.9%. So what does this all mean? Unless you get promoted in the zone, that one board year that it is that you are in the window, uh, your chance for promotion is very, very slim. It's highly unlikely that any one of us will make below the zone. One or two percent is a very small number. And additionally, if you don't get promoted in the zone, that chance of getting it above the zone is also very slim. So Another thing that uh, might be good for our listeners to look at, AFI 36-3203, which outlines the rules uh, that are enacted by our service as a result of DOTMA when it comes to separation and continuation and all those types of things that we've already talked about. So really top level, this kind of outlines the laws, the influence they have on our guidance, and how we implement them in this service. Why don't we take a few minutes to talk about some of the other things, the unwritten rules you know, we've talked about how promotion works, but what are those things that can actually put you in a position to get promoted? What are those unwritten rules, written rules, et cetera? What do you think, Colin? Yeah, as was mentioned earlier, the promotion from second lieutenant to first lieutenant and then first lieutenant to captain is done almost automatically. You show up to work every day for two years. You are not a criminal, you don't get a DUI, you are essentially meeting all of the, the standards for the Air Force, you are automatically promoted to first lieutenant and then to captain. But all that changes when a captain goes up for promotion to major, and it especially changes a lot when you go up for promotion from major to lieutenant colonel. It is no longer a guaranteed thing. Just as those percentages that you mentioned earlier only 69% over the last 30 years of majors being selected for promotion to lieutenant colonel within their in-promotion zone or IPZ window. So obviously, there are some things that the Air Force uses, the senior leaders use to discriminate between one major and another or one captain and another to determine whether they are ready for service in the higher grade. So some of the, the things that I personally have been made aware of, and I'm sure that there are many that many more outside of my own personal expertise, and I'm sure Reed, you'll share some of your thoughts as well. One of the, the things that comes up most frequently early on in your career as a, as a second lieutenant, first lieutenant, is whether or not you have a master's degree. You know, you just finished your four-year degree out of the university. You get to your first duty station and you have that introductory meeting with your squadron commander or your supervisor. And one of the first things likely that they're going to ask you is, so when are you going to get your master's degree? And you're like, hey, what, what? I just finished 
this grueling four or five years working on my bachelor's degree, I do not want to do more school right now. Maybe someday in the future, but not right this moment. I remember having that conversation. Reed, was that your experience too? It's somewhat different for me because I joined with a master's already complete. Ah, you, but you cheated. Certainly. No, I didn't cheat. I went the hard way, if you ask me. <laughs> but yeah, I came in with a master's degree already complete. So when that question or statement came up like, oh, you should soon start your master's degree, I was able to say, why well, do you have it completed? That kind of changed the conversation. But it was certainly something that came up. And it's something that previous chief of staff, General Welsh, took action on to actually try and address. But it's not quite taken. So let's explain what he did. Is he hid from the board the status of your master's degree except for the promotion to colonel or 06? So all it says, it doesn't say anything about education on the records that the board reviews. So that's how it's formally hidden. So a central selection board cannot consider whether or not you have a master's degree unless they're considering you for promotion to colonel. The trouble though, this is not well informed and I'll readily admit that. I wonder what impact having a master's or not impacts your stratifications or the way your, your leaders lower than the board view you. What do I mean by that? The best way to ensure that you will be promoted is performance of your primary duties and being recognized in the job that you're doing. At least that's what we think is the, the primary discriminator on whether you get promoted is how you perform in your primary duties. Certainly. As human beings, we are going to have biases. We're going to have things that influence the way we think. And I wonder... I wonder how much influence it has on a squadron commander or a group commander when they're trying to make those hard decisions about who is their best performer. I wonder if they know if someone has a master's or not, if that makes an impact. Yeah, because when a squadron commander or a group commander or even a wing commander is going through the process of stratifying or rank ordering their officers they may not, they're not allowed to actually put onto an OPR, an officer performance report, whether a, a master's degree is in process or complete or anything like that. But they are allowed to put a stratification on there, meaning they're allowed to say, this lieutenant is my number one, number two, or number three out of however many other uh, lieutenants they have. Or, uh, or CGOs in general. And they may use whether or not that that lieutenant has a master's degree as a way of helping to determine whether that lieutenant is a one or a two or a three among all the others. And so the master's degree gets rolled into that stratification even if it and it thereby ap appears within the OPR even if it's not specifically written out that the master's degree is complete or in process. Yeah, and I want to add here real quick. I've been very fortunate to have a large number of significantly good leaders, and I am very grateful for that. And as someone who has never been a squadron commander, group commander, wing commander, I cannot judge what goes into their mind. 
what I can relate is how challenging it was as a flight commander to rank my students at OTS. It was required for me multiple times during each class to rank my students and being keenly aware of the biases that would influence my decision making. Things like prior service would have an impact and I would have to consciously decide, am I letting this person's prior service sway where I am ranking them or am I allowing their performance to rank where they are? We are human beings and I found that that process excruciatingly difficult. Yes, it was, it was pretty easy to pick out the top one or two. And I usually had about 16 folks that I was ranking. It was really easy to pick out the bottom one or two based on purely performance alone. But I'll tell you, that middle 12 was a real challenge. It was really difficult to find where those performers were. The performance difference was very challenging to determine. And that's when I think the bias crept in for me and was something I had to actively work against. And again, I can't speak for those senior leaders. I've not been in their position, but just having gone through something pretty similar in that stratification assignment on a regular basis uh, really showed me how, how fallible we are as people. And I really applaud the chief of staff and the other senior leaders in the Air Force for being critical of this process and really working to try and get it right. And I really look forward to seeing what they come up with. No, that's been my experience too, as a member of the Air Force ROTC cadre, being part of discussions about rank ordering and stratifying cadets. And exactly as you said, it's really easy to, to distinguish your, your top performers, your bottom performers. And then it, in between there, your, your, your middle third, usually how we term it, it's a crapshoot, to be honest. And Colin, where is it that we draw the line? Where do we always inevitably draw that line for either promotion or pushing someone for that thing that they really want to do, that good opportunity? Where does that line get drawn? Is it drawn in the top, middle, or bottom? It's always drawn at the bottom of the middle. That's exactly what I'm getting at. The part that is hardest for us to determine where people are performing is the part that is going to have the biggest impact on those individuals. And that's why I really hope that some of the efforts that are under being undertaken right now are going to make this a little bit better. I'm under no vain imaginations that we're going to create some perfect human resources or talent management system. Anyone who's able to create a perfect way to evaluate all of their people and appropriately assign them to the positions and the responsibilities that they should have and never get it wrong, that just simply won't exist. But that doesn't mean that as members of the profession of arms entrusted with the safety and security of our nation, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be striving really hard to get it right every time. Yeah. And it's really good that you brought those things up because that was my personal experience. Everywhere that I've gone in my Air Force career, I've never been a top performer. If you look at my records, I've never gotten a top 10% strat. That's just, that's been my experience. And so like I was, I was saying at the top of the episode, when I was trying to get picked up, get selected for some of these other special opportunities, I needed those top stratifications. I needed to be identified as a top performer in order to be considered for that. And it just wasn't going to happen for me. 
And that was what drove me to make the decision to leave the Air Force, uh, to leave active duty, is because I realized that the things that I wanted to accomplish just were not possible with middle third rankings. It just, it couldn't happen for me. So I decided to blaze my own path, go my own way, and redefine my career in such a way that uh, I felt comfortable pursuing and that would be successful and good for me and my family. So exactly what you were saying, Reed, that is where lives are drastically impacted. Because my commanders made the decision to rank me lower than I thought I, I deserved, and maybe they were right. Maybe I really was a middle performer. That is what led me to decide to leave the Air Force. And I'm sure that that's been the experience for, for other people, that they were, they thought that they were high performers. They were, they were doing the best that they could. They thought that they deserved higher stratifications in order to achieve the, the things that they wanted to do for the Air Force, but they couldn't. And so they decided to take their skills and their knowledge elsewhere. Yeah, thanks for sharing. I think this is a super salient point. Again, senior leaders trying to review this process. Many of our listeners will be familiar with the Colonel Ned Stark treatises that have been published out uh, through a variety of means. Colonel Lamb, now no longer under the pseudonym, published a series of articles specifically addressing this idea of what these stratifications and the other ins and outs and intricacies of this promotion system, how it's led to a system that isn't necessarily promoting what we want or what we actually need as a service. And it's a hard problem to get after. I applaud Colonel Lamb for his willingness to speak out about the situation and to work to try and address it. A number of other things that we should probably mention in here, Colin, you, so you said a master's degree is something that could be really important on how we are ranked or how we're viewed. Uh, in addition to your performance or your duty, um, sometimes your willingness to do service or serve the community in some way, uh, doing things in addition to your job, volunteering for certain events or going above and beyond in things that don't have much to do with work uh, is something that I heard a lot of people be less than thrilled about, perhaps that they don't feel that that should contribute to their, to their ranking. Being in certain positions, command, going to school for the Air Force, uh, joint duty, being an aide to a general. There's a number of things like this that have resulted in impacting your ability to get promoted, and that's something that we're all trying to review right now. Yeah. So we, we mentioned that performance in your primary duty should be the thing that is most important in evaluating where you fall, where you rack and stack against your peers. But let's be honest, the specific position that you are in is really important. The closer you are to that senior rater, the more likely it is that you're going to receive a higher strat from them. It's just the nature of the beast because is that senior rater going to rank higher the, the lieutenant or the, the captain or the major that is multiple degrees removed from them, multiple layers 
down from them in, in the chain of command with, in the organiza organizational structure? Or are they going to give the higher stratification to that executive officer or that aide de camp or someone who is working directly for them within that office that they know personally, they're intimately aware of that person's strengths, their capabilities, where further down the chain, you're just an unknown quantity. So even if you are absolutely killing it, you're crushing it in your primary duty, if you are further away from your senior rater, the likelihood of you getting the higher stratification is just not there. Yeah. And compound that with other things like timing. So something that matters a great deal is where you are relative to how long you've been at a location, when it's time for your senior rater to uh, give you that ranking relative to the board. So let's talk about why that matters. Uh, just like you mentioned, Colin, if the senior rater has never heard your name, uh, has never seen your work, it's just simply going to be harder for them to want to place you higher on their list. You can compound that by not being uh, at that location for a very long time. If you get to a unit two or three months before a PRF has to be completed and the senior rater is going through their list of people they're assigning the promotes, the do not promotes, the definitely promotes, they're assigning the stratifications. And you haven't even been at the unit for very long enough to even do the job. How can they, in good faith, rank you higher than someone who's been there for two years and is working really hard and hasn't made a name for themselves? So that's just one way of how timing can be exceptionally critical. So one of the reasons we want to go through this exercise is to help people understand the rules of the game that they are subject to, whether they want to or not. You may have an opportunity to go do some really amazing job. Say it's an exchange officer in a foreign country, uh, working with a foreign military, really, really neat opportunity, right? But what if, like you mentioned, Colin, that removes you from the center of power and now you're an unknown quantity. You're someone that People don't know who they are. You're not connected to the Air Force. And then you come back to the Air Force right before a board, and no one knows who you are. You haven't been performing like your peers. That type of decision to go and do that neat job could end up hurting you if your goal was to get that next promotion. So this is just one of the ways that the game can come back to bite you if you're not aware of how the rules work. Yeah, and I'd like to share an anecdote that will actually lead into our discussion of the HPO system as well. I know an officer who was identified early on as a fast burner, high performer. He was absolutely killing it in his primary duties, and he really truly was. He is, still is, an amazing officer really smart, really capable. And in his first duty assignment, he was identified as the number one uh, lieutenant uh, in the group. Uh, got a high stratification within the wing and ended up having a sit-down conversation with his squadron commander who explained to him that there was this system 
called HPO or high potential officer. And the squadron commander pulled out this binder that had examples and explanations of how the HPO system worked and how it was going to affect him, things that he should be aware of as he moved on in his career. And this HPO system being something that is used to identify not just colonels, but general officers while they are still company grade officers, lieutenants and captains. And so she was explaining all of this information to him. And, you know, he came back to her and said, but I want to go teach ROTC. And this blew the squadron commander's mind. She couldn't understand why he would want to go do something like ROTC, where ROTC is exactly what you were describing. It pulls you out of your primary career field. It sends you far away from the centers of power. In fact, we are geographically separated from all the the major bases. We're not immediately surrounded by uh, our peer group. We're not in our uh, in our career field. Historically, ROTC has been viewed as a career killer for officers. This is a place where people go to separate from the Air Force or retire because there's no recovering a a career for someone who spends three or four years in an ROTC environment. When you come back, you've been away from your career field for so long, people don't know who you are. There's not great opportunities for stratifications because you're not located around a lot of other officers. And the service, the Air Force historically has not valued the work that is done within the various different commissioning sources. And so when this officer told his squadron commander that he wanted to go to ROTC, she strongly recommended that he not that he not pursue it. And in fact, the group commander got involved, called a, a special meeting just between this officer and uh, the group commander, just the two of them, where the group commander tried really hard to explain, hey, you are destined for greatness. You are going to be a senior leader within your career field. But if you take this ROTC assignment, that all goes out the window and the likelihood of you being able to recover from it just doesn't exist. But he defined for himself what he wanted out of a career. He defined what success looked like. He defined what sort of lifestyle he wanted. And he made the choice to go to ROTC and has loved it. He's been doing really well. He's had a great impact on his unit, on the cadets that he's been involved with. And his family is so happy to be where they are. How do you equate that? How do you trade that for the, the, the potential of being a, a general officer? I don't know that you can. You have to make the decision for yourself what is most important. And in his case, he decided that lifestyle, that specific assignment, that being able to give back and have an impact on future generations was more important than rank and position. Yeah, that's that's a great story. Two points I want to make. One, I want to give full credit to our senior leaders who have actually made changes uh, to that letter, that guidance from the Secretary of the Air Force that goes to promotion boards. 
specifically to give strong consideration for people who perform instructor duty, specifically ROTC, officer training school, uh, Air Force Academy, et cetera, to address that specific thing you mentioned, Colin, that it was seen as a career killer. And I, I had very similar experience uh, when I was assigned to OTS, the guidance I was given, and I did not volunteer for that position. I need to be open with that. Um, the counsel I received was that this could be a very bad thing depending on what I wanted out of my career. So, but that is definitely changing. And I think for the better, uh, it's super important that we get this training, this initial training, right. And I, I am excited to see that our leaders are, t are being aware of that. And then I want to second exactly what you said. I can't look at someone else's career decisions and the things that matter to them and place judgment. If someone really truly wants to be a general officer and that's important for them, Go ahead, work hard for it. Hopefully that can be something that they can achieve. Um, but at the same time, using your friend as an example, I also can't judge them if they want to focus their career somewhere else. And I think that's kind of what I want the big take home to be from our discussion today. You have to define what a successful career looks like. However, there are still rules of the game and you have to know the rules of the game and able to be in it and be successful. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't go do every single amazing, wonderful, incredible opportunity and miss out on some of those unwritten rules that you need to follow in order to achieve some rank. It's just not going to happen. You're going to have to make some sacrifices here or there. But the better you understand the rules and know who you are and what matters to you, you'll be better able to navigate it and control the way this system works to end up in the place where you want to be. And I hope that's what we're providing our listeners through this podcast. Yeah. So let's, let's summarize a, a few of these points. There are rules to how you get promoted. Some of them are written down like DOTMA that explains the legal aspect of how officers are promoted within the different services. Yep. And those things are really hard to change and don't change very often. It's not like we have power to go to Congress and say, I need you to change this law like that. That kind of stuff's set in stone a little bit. And those rules, those concrete written rules apply equally to every officer, regardless of where they are located, regardless of their position, their rank, their, their job, their level of performance, it applies equally. However, there are also some unwritten rules that may or may not apply equally to officers that are very dependent on their job performance, the position that they're in, the timing of their, where they are in their career, the timing of their arrival at an assignment, those types of things. So there are written rules, there are unwritten rules, but you need to know all of them. You need to know how they are going to impact you and your career and how you see yourself being successful as an Air Force officer. A successful career is going to be different for everybody, but I think we should give our listeners some ideas of what a successful career could look like. For you, for me, maybe our specific ideas of, of what career success looks like, but also we could give some general points that maybe they can use as they start to define for themselves what success looks like. Sure. For me, 
the things that the priorities that I've established for my life of revolve around my family. And so taking into consideration the challenging life that is that of a military member and a military family, the thing that I've identified is the most important thing is that when I leave the uniform behind, that my family is still a part of my life, that I'm still married to my wife, that my kids know me. Whether or not they love me will be up to them, but I hope to not have done anything particularly egregious to earn their hatred, right? It's a, it's a difficult thing to leave your family for six months or a year to deploy, to fight, but that's what we sign up for. And so I have actually turned down pretty cool opportunities that I knew would take me away from being the father and husband that I want to be. And so that's what I've defined as success is mostly centered around my family. For others, it's really important that they achieve the opportunity to be a commander. I definitely have those feelings. Being a commander places you in the position to have the most significant impact on a large number of lives for the good, hopefully, right? We all want to be good commanders. We've all had fantastic commanders. We've all had commanders that maybe were left wanting. And that responsibility of command is something a lot of people strive for. Uh, some people want to go and continue on with education and they want to have that education paid for. They want to get into some of the best schools and some of the best programs that are afforded to members of the military. That's another thing that they can define career success. For me, definitely centered on still being able to be with my family whenever this ends because that's the way I see it. And I've had good senior leaders tell me that. You know, at some point, you will have to leave the Air Force, but your family. They're going to be there, hopefully. And when you separate from the Air Force, you don't want to be alone. Now, I really appreciate you sharing that. And we recognize that in our audience, there are going to be plenty of people who don't have families. Maybe that's not something that is as important to them as it is to you, and that's fine. You're just providing an example of what a successful career could look like. Exactly. You know, I've had peers that it was extremely important to them that they were able to deploy and to go to the battlefield to fight. They were, like many of us now, children of 9-11, if you will. So they grew up in a relatively peaceful environment. 9-11 happened. It changed a lot of people's lives. And since that moment, they've wanted to go and fight for this nation. Through a variety of circumstances, some of those folks were never able to deploy, and that inability to deploy turned out to be something that they decided to leave the Air Force over. So everyone has that thing that that their why. You know, something I talked with all my students about. What is your why? The why you were here. Why did you throw your hand up in the air and say, "Pick me. I'm willing to do this." Why is that? Once you define that why then you're better able to create the career that you need that you want to to try and and achieve what it is that you're here to do. Yeah, let's be super grateful for the people who who have the why of wanting to go and drop bombs on bad guys, kicking doors, 
to kill the bad guy, bring the fight to the enemies of our nation. Let's be super grateful for that type of people, but also recognize that those type of people also really struggle to maintain a, a solid family life. Sometimes defining career success may also make it so that you are unable to achieve other types of career success. Everybody who is going to pursue a career in the Air Force is going to have to make some type of sacrifice. Everybody. There's no exceptions. In some circumstances, like, like what you brought up, you had to sacrifice some really cool opportunities in order to achieve what you define as success, which is maintaining a, a solid family life. Others who want to stay deployed constantly, they, they don't ever want to find themselves stuck at home station. They want to be out there, you know, out in the sand, in the heat, you know, fighting the enemy. Great. Good for them. We're grateful for them. They are also going to struggle maintaining a, a good family life. There are others who, who want to pursue various different assignments. We already mentioned my friend who chose ROTC over rank and position. The likelihood is that he's never going to, to recover from it. He's never going to be that general officer, and that's okay. The important thing is that you recognize that you define for yourself what success is. And I think in a general term, and this is how I, I personally like to view it, is that success is about impact. That if you want to have impact on mission accomplishment, meaning killing bad guys, achieving national strategic objectives, then that is an excellent impact to have. That is career success. If you want to have an impact on future generations in the development of future officers or the enlisted corps as an instructor, awesome. That is a wonderful impact. If you want to have an impact on your personal family, you can do that. That is a great way to define success. I think the overarching principle here is that it's all about impact. As an officer, as a leader, as someone who is seeking to further the goals of the United States, of the Air Force, of of airmen, of people, of the peripheral support networks, meaning our family, our communities that, that support our bases and, our, and the places where we operate, it's all about impact. And you get to define what that type of impact is. You get to define what success looks like for you as an individual. Don't let anybody tell you what is right or wrong as far as career success goes. It is 100% completely up to you to determine that. But in order to achieve that impact, as we've been explaining through this podcast, you need to understand how the Air Force operates, what the written rules are, what the unwritten rules are, how it is that, that you need to maneuver yourself in order to achieve those goals. Exactly. No, I couldn't have put it any better. And this isn't stuff that is written down anywhere overwhelmingly. This is stuff that takes time. So find a mentor, find someone who has what you are looking for, especially in terms of career. That that person, that is what I want to be in five, 10 years, whatever it is. And ask them questions and they can help you to get there. I think it's important to bring up briefly, a lot of what we've talked about is very centered on a continued career in the Air Force. 
that is what I have chosen. I have chosen to make my life's work be that of a military officer. If your purpose and intent is to have an incredible five-year experience serving in active duty or, or in the guard or whatever it is, and then you're going to go do something else, that's fantastic too. So I want to make sure that all our listeners understand we're not just talking about defining career success within a 20-year window wearing the uniform. Whatever, whatever it is that you are trying to get out of this, you need to define it so you can get after it. No, I, I'm so glad that you made that point because you may find that you are unable to achieve success within the Air Force as you define it. And if that's the case, please do not feel any shame at all in volunteering to take the uniform off and going and serving in a different capacity. We need good leaders, not just in the military. We need good leaders in business, in the political realm, in education, in our local communities, our nation at large, international. We need good leaders everywhere. And so if you find that you can have a bigger impact, a better impact, a more effective impact outside of the military, awesome. Thank you for coming into the Air Force and doing the best that you could here. Thank you for influencing lives here. Now go and continue to crush it elsewhere. Don't feel any shame about that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that you brought up the topic of mentorship. On that note, you are welcome to join us in our Facebook discussion room for Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. You can find us there, facebook.com slash Air Force Officer Podcast. There you can engage with us, with fellow officers in the Air Force, as well as other listeners that are interested in the training and development of Air Force officers and the leaders in the application of air power and the profession of arms. You can also engage with us through email, airforceofficerpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on the social media platforms. We are active, not just on Facebook, but on Instagram and Twitter. The specific handles we will include in the show notes, but there you are welcome to ask us your questions, share your thoughts about uh, what is needed to get promoted, ask for mentorship. Absolutely. Yep. And we're more than happy to answer your questions. And if we don't have the answers to your questions, we might know someone who does. Uh, that's one of the things that I've been most grateful for and enjoy the most is the brotherhood and sisterhood that I've been able to establish with other people that wear this uniform and being able to reach out and find that help for just about anybody in any, any situation. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to our episode today. We would even more appreciate you sharing this episode with a family member or friend, someone who is maybe coming up on promotion in the Air Force give them the opportunity to learn a little bit more about what to expect. Maybe you know someone who is a brand new second lieutenant, they just commissioned, and you want to help them start thinking ahead about what is coming. So share this podcast with a, a friend or a neighbor, someone that you know that could benefit from it. Leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast directory. We are on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, any of those locations. 
your rating and review there will help others to find this podcast and get the word out. And don't forget to subscribe so that when new episodes come available, you'll be the first to access them and get all the information you need to know about what it means to be an officer in the Air Force, how to be successful and have a, an impact on the people around you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Commission Ed. Thank you for listening to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. The views and opinions of the authors expressed herein do not state or reflect those of the U.S. government and shall not be used for advertising or product endorsement purposes. Mention of any specific commercial products, process, or service by trade name, trademark, manufacturer, or otherwise does not necessarily constitute nor imply its endorsement, recommendation, or favoring by the U.S. government. The mention of companies by name is solely for the purpose of discussion and should not be implied as endorsement.